Hey, thanks for joining and welcome to Shift, PwC Canada's podcast series, where we go behind the scenes with Canada's leading organizations to hear their digital transformation stories. I'm your host, John Finkelstein, Executive Creative Director here at PwC Canada and a drummer for 45 years. Welcome to Shift, COVID-19 Quarantine Edition. If you've been in your podcast platform of choice, you probably noticed that we haven't had a Shift podcast in a little while because we've been busy at home getting our tech ready. I'm super excited today to have our first virtual podcast because we have a guest who is an expert in virtual work. Michael Rhodes, Group Head Innovation Technology and Shared Services at TD Bank Group. Welcome to the podcast. Great to be here. Thank you so much. Now, um, this is kind of neat because normally either we're face-to-face, we're in our studio, but uh, I have the great privilege of seeing you at home. Yes, I am at home. I've been here for a little while. Uh, unexpected use of my time here. Um, I've become a bit of an expert at work from home. Wasn't really in my plans this year, but it is now. You know, what's amazing to me is that, you know, um, we've been doing you know a lot of reading and a lot of stuff going on in the press in terms of how different organizations have really had to mobilize quickly. And in the case of the bank, I think you know you guys had a little bit of a preview um, of what was to come. Do you care to tell us a little bit about that? You're right, John. Thank you so much. And this has really been quite the uh, grand experiment of work from home. And we're certainly in unique times. And uh, obviously the. Uh, the bulk of our operations are in the U.S. and Canada, North America, but we also have operations across the globe, including Singapore. And so when COVID uh, actually first uh, started uh, really you know, taking off, unfortunately, it was our group in Singapore was able to kind of uh, give us some perspectives. They probably don't get in the media. They don't get elsewhere that, no, this is real. Let us tell you how we're actually handling this. And um, and they started their preparations and work from home on kind of a grand scale. And that sort of tipped us, you know, back in February that we got to get ready. And so we started uh, weeks ahead of probably some other folks to ensure that we had the capability and capacity to work from home. And, uh, you know, the good news is I think we, we showed a lot of progress. You know, it's amazing to me because you guys um, saw what was happening around the world and then you said, you know what, there's there's a, a very good chance that we need to be prepared for this. And so you took it seriously. And, and I think that's a really interesting indicator when we see so much going on in the world that a lot of big organizations have been very slow um, to kind of believe. I'm really interested to know about, um, so you saw what was happening in Singapore, and then you guys took action right away. And before we go into the specifics of the action, I'm curious about something. When the world started to hear about COVID, was there anything in your organization you had to convince people that this was like a serious, credible threat or or not? Yeah, no, to be fair, we we have different protocols inside the organization to treat incidents. And, and, and so we actually treat this as an incident, you know, from way back in January. Um, and so we were actually monitoring on a global basis to kind of see what was happening. And, and so we, we were tracking this well before it became evening news every day. We're a big bank. We had pandemic protocols and business continuity plans. And, and so we actually kicked a lot of stuff in place, uh, you know, quite some time ago. And, uh, you know, that being the case, as uh, the pandemic actually moved from Asia to Europe, to the Middle East, into North America, um, the speed of the change that happened ended up being really quite something. And I have to say the, uh, the speed actually probably did surprise us, uh, that being the case. 
uh, we were absolutely working this as an incident from way back in January. Yeah, I, I bet that gave you a leg up too. It's almost like you guys had a couple of different things that happened to you know, sort of uh, allow you to respond more quickly. One was you already had some semblance of protocols in place, which I think probably really helped. And um, the forewarning or the, the foreshadowing um, from Singapore. Yeah, no, that's absolutely right. And so like, what did we do, you know, back back before the lockdown happened, uh, we recognized that we need to have as many people as possible work from home. And uh, look, we, along with a lot of large organization and remote access capability for, for, for our staff, if you think about us, you know, we've got, you know, called 90,000 people, give or take, you know, across the enterprise, of which, you know, maybe roughly 30,000 are kind of frontline facing inside a store or a branch so there's another 60,000 people who are not their operations folks or um, call center or, or, or product or risk leads. Our previous peak for work from home was probably about 20,000 people. We recognize we need capacity for 100,000. And so we actually started the effort to increase our work from home capacity well before it was a lockdown. And this ended up becoming just-in-time delivery. Uh, I don't know if this is lucky or good, but in either case, this the weekend the lockdown happened, that Monday, we were ready with enough uh, capacity to support 50,000 people. And the reason we were there is we had started the effort literally weeks ahead. And whenever I had these conversations, and I've had a couple of them, I also do make sure that I do a big shout out and thanks to our technology teams uh, and really people throughout the organization more broadly, because they actually moved mountains in order to make all this stuff happen. Um, you know, really, I, I, we did about six months worth of work in about six days. <laughs> okay, so I'm curious about something Almost overnight, you guys had to increase your capacity to allow people to work from home. What was harder, spooling up the technology to allow people to do that, or just the whole mindset of getting your head wrapped around, I work for TD, and now I'm doing this from home. Is that was what, what was more difficult? The technology was hard, but we got that done. Um, but we, to be fair... We got that done from an infrastructure perspective. We also had to deal with people's individual circumstances within their home, within their apartment or condo. And, and that was non-trivial because that was all different. I mean, just, you know, for myself as an example, yeah, sure, I have Wi-Fi at home. I've had it for a long time. I hadn't really contemplated an environment where I was going to be on video streaming all day long. And uh, my own personal circumstances, my, my wife and I are empty nesters. But uh, so my both kids came home, both working. So they're streaming all day long. My son brought his girlfriend. She's in graduate school. She's streaming all day long. Uh, she brought her puppy. That was a, a new dynamic that we have to deal with. <laughs> and the puppy was streaming all day long. So that was weird. Exactly. <laughs> I think the biggest challenges, honestly, with work from home are how do you manage? How do you lead? How do you coach? How do you engage with your teams in a remote environment? And that's a new muscle for all of us. And, and, and we're sort of learning as we go along. Everything from a, a contact center, if, if you're a team manager, you might have 15 people and normally you, you work by kind of walking the floor and talking to folks. Well, how do you do that when you're working remotely? Um, if you're working on a project team where you might have been in an agile environment, a kind of team of teams and you were walking right next to each other and you could tap each other's shoulder and look at each other's screens and now you're remote. How does it actually work? And so there was a lot of learning to just see how we can actually operate effectively. And then I guess the next piece of learning that came from work from home was, was a bit unexpected. And maybe in hindsight, it shouldn't be. Um, but we take it for granted that you can just kind of set up your laptop at home and, and go and work. But there are other personal challenges that are new and unique. Um, many of our colleagues have small children and they had daycare and now they don't have daycare and uh, you'll be on a call and you hear a screaming child and you just have to laugh. I mean, you, just, <laughs> you can't do anything about that. You hear dogs barking all the time and 
You know, I went to a cocktail party online where everyone brought their dog. So we can actually see the dogs and associate the dog with the voice. You also have uh, people, young adults who are living alone for the first time. Um, and they might have just gotten out of university where there's a big social environment. And now they're living in a condo by themselves in downtown Toronto with no support network. And, and there's a unique challenge with that. And you have folks who are dealing with elder care, uh, myself included. You know, how do you protect uh, older members of your family in this environment? And so we've had to learn how to be really, really flexible. Even in our scheduling, in our, in our phone channel, if, if you're in the phone channel, you know, you, scheduling is, 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 is an art that you need to actually exercise in order to manage your call volume and, and your resources. We've made thousands and thousands of scheduling changes really on the fly in order to support our, our, our frontline colleagues because the way we kind of create their schedule and today's reality don't match. I think the biggest challenge to your question is really the leadership and the management in a, in a remote environment. And to be fair, I think we've gotten pretty good about it. And, and we talk about it a lot, but this was not a well-exercised muscle day one. You know, it's it's, it's a, a really interesting description of how things are. We're definitely seeing a lot of, um, you know, need for people to rethink coaching and mentorship and checking in. But I've also noticed, I guess, as a, as a leader at the firm, I've noticed a really big increase in empathy. I don't know about if you've noticed that as well, but I, I really feel like one of the, the byproducts I've seen and heard from a lot of people is how this has actually broken down this virtual work if you will has broken down a lot of um, a lot of barriers not so much in hierarchy but in terms of really connecting with colleagues and um, you know people who are kind of higher up the ladder than you say um, with a whole other degree of humanity you know whether it's the the barking dogs or the kids or whatever it's like a lot of the artifice has been peeled away in a good way I and mean, we're just treating each other like people Absolutely. You know, one of the things that I do is, you know, you always try to catch someone doing something good. Uh, and when they've accomplished something interesting, um, if I pick up the phone and I call them. And uh, I'm not talking about direct reports. I'm talking people who are down in, you know, in the organization, folks much closer to the work and, and, and what's happening. And I love giving folks a call for really two reasons. One is to say thank you. But the second, and I actually lead with this, is how you doing? Say thank you, but tell me how you doing. And, and, and you hear the stories and say, well, my, my, my child's in first grade. They're learning how to read. I'm trying to balance learning how to read with doing my job. High school kids can go on their laptop and do their work. <laughs> you know? But you know, that, that's a different type of challenge. And so just honestly having those conversations, I've had many, many of them. Uh, Barrett Misrani, our CEO, I'll feed him names, say call the following person and just thank them for a great job done. And we're just going anywhere in the organization where it makes sense. And, uh, and I think people really like the engagement. And uh, you know, I don't have any message other than thank you and how you doing. Mm -hmm. Yes, to ask them how they're doing. But I, I, I said this to the rest of you know, the teams. It's like really dig in on the mental health side of things. People always go to when you say, how are you doing as a, as a superior? They automatically go to the work well, I'm working on this and I'm working on that and I want to let you know that this is good and that's good. It's like, no, 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 no. How are you doing? How, how are you feeling mentally? How is your health? How are you, you know what I mean? And then it, it opens up a whole other avenue of, of um, they kind of get relaxed with, oh, you mean how am I doing doing? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a different question. Okay. It's kind of funny. We've had you know, these virtual happy hours and uh, you kind of get a lot of folks together and you kind of pull up the screens. You feel like you're on uh on uh, what was that old TV show, Hollywood Squares? We've <laughs> all, the, all the people up there, and then uh, you've got you know a beer in your hand. You're just kind of talking about things, and again, you, 
They try and make it not all about the work and all about the task. They talk about, you know, what's going on in their lives and, you know, kind of compare notes. And everyone has their own kind of successes and, and struggles uh, with the environment that we're in. It's got to be really human about it. Acknowledge it. And one of the things, we, we, we can't expect perfection here. You know, if someone's on a call and a child comes running in the room because they bang their head, you take care of it. <laughs> um, you know, one of my colleagues the other day, uh, we were talking and uh, I hear a child uh, screaming and uh, I said, are they okay? He said, oh, yeah, no, my daughter was leaning against the dog and the dog moved. <laughs> you, know? <laughs> so, like, you know, these things happen and, and you just kind of go with them and, uh, and it's, it's the environment we're in. But look, we have to be flexible and we have to be empathetic mm-hmm. um, uh, in the environment that we're in. I'm just curious, if you were to guess out of your entire workforce, what percentage of the workforce do you think actually prefers working from home? Are you hearing any anecdotal evidence on that? <laughs> what, you know, anecdotally, I, I, I don't know if I can give you a percent, but I, I can say the following. Folks do like working from home. I think the vast majority don't like working from home all the time. <laughs> um, uh, you know, because there is a social element to what we do, which is important. I think they do like being able to kind of roll out of bed and then uh, kind of get their stuff going. But I think there is definitely, I think folks are missing the social engagement that you get when you're kind of back in the office place together. And there's also, there's less of a separation between work and personal life. As you know, for me, you know, the difference in work and personal life is I leave the room I'm in now and I go to the next room and then, you know, my wife or kids might be there. And you know. <laughs> Well, I'm sure through all of this isolation and basically pivoting your entire workforce, you went from how many working from home to how many working from home now? Okay. So um, our peak before COVID was about 20,000 working from home. Mm-hmm. And then on any given day today, we'll you know have about sixty thousand working from home. Wow. Um, but really, like on a typical day, you know that peak was another. Uh, I, I forgot what it was. It was a storm or a snowstorm or something like that. But we were in, in the thousands of people working from home, and we've gone from thousands to sixty thousand. So it's a big, big jump. Now, in that time, I gotta think that there are some ways of working that you guys have uncovered. That when all this is said and done, when we've gone back to whatever the next normal is. There are some things that you're going to want to keep. There are things that people actually legitimately enjoyed about this work now that you don't want to lose. Can you share with us any of those? Yeah, you know, it's a really good question. And, you know, it's interesting because you know, when the when the lockdown started and we were just literally changing processes and ways we worked kind of in a very, very rapid basis. And I'll be honest, people were working very long hours mm-hmm. and they were working seven days a week and a lot of hours in every day. But if you did a uh, kind of a mental health check at that time, fo- folks felt good because we were getting things done. And I think what happened was we as a bank entered this, this mode whereby we had rapid escalation of decisions. You know, and sometimes in a large organization, decisions can kind of fester for a while. And, and we entered this mode where literally we empowered teams of folks working close to the problem. If they couldn't solve something, it was escalated to the top of the house very, very quickly. And you could, you, you could get to the end of the job because you had an avenue to get there. And, and, and that was absolutely a lesson and, and, and one that we kind of think about on an ongoing basis. But if I really go back and, and, and kind of ponder about like, why were we so effective in getting ourselves to both work remotely, but also be there for our customers in the mm-hmm. right type of way. It, it's really kind of day one, we establish some criteria of, of what's most important. And so let's focus on what's most important and let's uh, let, let's stop doing things that are not on the most important list. So if most important, there were two items and then we actually added one. Mm-hmm. 
The first two items was ensure the safety of our colleagues, customers, and communities. And that, that, that was a guiding principle. I mean, social distancing, it means work from home. Um, and uh, for our customers, you know, same type of thing. How do we ensure that in our physical environments they were safe and secure? It actually ties to the cyber agenda. So that, that, that was one. Uh, second is uh, they wanted our operations to be resilient, to be secure. Um, and so we had to be there for our customers. And this meant in digital channels or a phone channel. We increased capacity in, in many places where we had to upgrade our capacity. You know, our remote deposit capture capacity, we took up by a factor of three. Another example I use there is, you know, as you can imagine, during the high volatility days in the market, lots of trading volume, enormous volumes. And we had multiples of what we had seen previously. We had invested in capacity uh, so that we could actually handle that volume and be there for our customers when they want to trade in these very, very high volatile times. Um, and so that stuff is incredibly important. And, and again, just really proud we were able to get that done. But the third thing we talk about, you know, being there and being resilient and being uh, operationally be running effectively. The third thing we actually figured out kind of early on is we have to build self-serve capabilities. Um, there are a lot of things that we should do in person that we need to figure out how to do in a self-serve way. So we stood up literally the past six weeks, something like 100 new capabilities from a digital perspective that could be done in self-serve and have served literally hundreds of thousands of customers through capabilities that didn't exist literally just weeks ago. So I know you guys really um, bolstered the sort of remote uh, check depositing and some of those things to allow for that, which is amazing. But what are some of the highlights in that? So um, first of all, there are a number, I'd say there are a number of government programs that kind of came out, some you know small business lending programs, some consumer programs. We had to build capabilities around that, both in Canada and the U.S., um, and like on the small business side, uh, you know, the U.S., the uh, Small Business Administration came out with this program and it was 72 hours before it was to launch. They came out with requirements. And so we had 72 hours to stand up a capability, which we did. We've taken something like 100,000 applications uh, like since we launched this program. Um, that's like multiple like multiples of, I think, like 20 or 30 times that we used to get in a year. And we actually had to create that in 72 hours. Um, you know, a couple lessons learned there is the agile teams working together can get things done. We also actually had a cloud-based infrastructure there. And in a cloud-based infrastructure, you can actually scale very, very rapidly. Right. Um, and so we had the right technology stack and the right teams and working really hard in, in a kind of a team of team agile way to kind of get that done. You know, sometimes we say, oh, we could probably do it that fast. But if we do it that fast... We're going to let everybody know that we can do it that fast. And next time they're going to ask for it even faster. Typically speaking in production, that's kind of how things go. So I, I would actually flip that around. Uh, I think the question we ask ourselves now is, how do we actually take that cadence and actually make that more of a business as usual way of doing things? Hmm. Because, you know, people people get a charge out of getting things done. And if we figure out ways to kind of knock out the barriers so they can get things done, I mean, that actually boosts morale. It boosts, you know, folks get excited about what they're doing. And so I'd actually flip your question on its head and say, the question for us is how do we make that more BAU? Mm -hmm. and, uh, um, and, and we're actually, we're doing some work on that very question right now. Yeah, we're doing a lot of work right now also on sort of BAU and everybody is. I was just on a call this morning with, um, you know, a whole network of people talking about all the challenges that they're having of what happens when we go back and how do we take all the lessons learned and, you know, make it an even better organization in, you know, a year or two years time. You know, and the, the thing that I'd also say there is like, so, we, you know, our staff was there, but look, we, we had a lot of partners, uh, including yourselves, 
uh, who um, you know were there with us in the moment, trying to sort things out. And you know, we were all very similarly focused on the mission at hand. And uh, when you have good partners you're working with uh, in, in a trusted way, um, you can get great things done. Absolutely. I love the fact that you said that decision-making at the sort of the most senior level, there was a lot less latency or almost zero latency with some of this stuff. It, it, it proves the point that, you know, to any naysayers who say, oh, we can't work from home or we can't have decisions in quote unquote real time, they've been proven otherwise, they've been proven wrong. Look, we have to manage risk. We're a bank and we're the risk management business. And so we move fast. You can't not manage risk when you move fast. But there are multiple ways to manage risk. One way is to create lots of documentation and have committees and processes review the documentation. Another way is to get the risk experts in the room when decisions are being made and as part of the team. And if you have confidence in your risk experts, you have confidence in technology, business, and your data folks, you can make decisions and you can make decisions taking into account the management of risk in the right type of ways and still get to the same outcomes, but just do it much faster. Well, that's having the right composition of team. Yes. You know, and I think it's so important. If there's one thing, you know, help people hear loud and clear is that you have to have the right team and you can do these things quickly and efficiently when you have the right folks in the room. It's uh, it's quite amazing. I'd love it if, if you could just tell our listeners before COVID, what was your day-to-day contribution to the bank and what, it, what were you doing? Certainly, sure, sure. And so my role at, at TD Bank Group is I run what we call innovation, technology, and shared services. And so, so what is that? That is fundamentally all the shared services of the bank, of which technology is one of them, as is digital and mobile and data and artificial intelligence, security as in cybersecurity, um, our, our phone channel, collections, fraud, payments, you know, everything that kind of makes the bank run as a shared utility, uh, I run. And uh, most of my career, I've actually worked on the business side of the house. Um, I grew up really on more on the product side and uh, at TD. I've been at TD now for uh, eight years, six of those leading retail businesses and then some payment businesses. Um, in the past two years, I've been overseeing uh, technology and all our shared services. The reason I tell you the story of my career and what I'm doing is there's this fusion that's going on inside of big banks whereby you know, technology and business have to be much, much more closely aligned. And you need your business leaders to be more adept at technology. You need your technologists to really understand the business. You know, and so I, you know, yeah, I was stringing cable up, which is true. Um, but you know, I, like, I try to do my own personal tech as much as I can. Um, and not that I couldn't find someone who could do it for me, but I think it's important for business leaders to understand how all this stuff works. I don't expect you know business leaders to go and code, um, but I, I want them to understand their business architecture and how that ties their technology <laughs> architecture um, as they think about what the world looks like on a go forward basis. Uh, understand the art of the possible, um, and um, and so just as you know, I'm a business guy who's overseeing a bunch of shared services, including some very technical groups. I also like our technical leaders to really understand the business, uh, but that's the world we're going into in the 21st century, and. Uh, I think COVID has become the great accelerant. Things that were taking five years all of a sudden took five weeks. The moment creates the opportunity. And we've done things in our business continuity that are in production now that weren't even ideas eight weeks ago. 85, 90% of our traders are working from home. They're working from home using remote access points, basically mimic the uh, TD Bank Group network inside your own home. That wasn't part of our business continuity plan 
But we actually figured out kind of early on that that was a better way for the traders to get their capability. And now actually you see the traders, they've got all their screens up at home and all their terminals and whatnot, and they're able to be quite effective. But it's the uh, kind of necessity of the moment that creates the innovation. Which leads me to my next question is, as a bank, you guys have tremendous resources around technology and scale and all this kind of stuff. But there are organizations that we work with, organizations in Canada, where technology and the lack of it potentially becomes a bit of a limiting factor or a slowing factor to how they can adopt virtual work. Um, what, what advice might you have for folks who, you know, aren't able to sort of snap fingers and have laptops or have these, you know, wonderful trading network uh, environments? It's a great question. And look, at TD Bank Group, we have a lot of industrial sized tools um, that we can actually use and we've pressure tested and, 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 and we, we know that they work quite well. Um, look, there are actually an awful lot of tools that we don't use. They're just basically publicly available. Now, the truth of the matter is you need internet access. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, without internet access, a lot of these things don't work. I can't tell you how many people are now using Zoom. Mm-hmm. Um, I think uh, uh, a couple uh, months ago, very few people actually knew what Zoom was. <laughs> and now we have a lot of folks who are using it on a day-to-day basis. Mm-hmm. We're talking about tech. We're talking about the adoption and the, you know, the scale of tech. TD Tech War Rooms. That's something that you guys have been doing a lot. I'm just interested if you could spend a second telling us a little bit about that and how it's helped the bank. Yeah, so it's a great question. And so we set up these war rooms, you know, long time, you know, six, seven weeks ago when, when, when the sort of lockdown really f- first started happening. And the inspiration of, for them was actually we had what we call a cyber fusion center, which is basically a seven by 24 team of teams to actually identify and, and react to, to cyber threats. And what you do is you bring cross-functional groups of people together to kind of work on problems and, and you know, task them with kind of dealing with them in the moment. We actually r- realized early on that it'd be great to do that with uh, just our technology needs kind of coming in day one. And so we could pull our digital teams together, our data, security, our risk partners, technology, business leaders, and pull them together. Really, we call it a war room. It was in a virtual war room where uh, they were on with each other literally on a constant basis. It became an intake process for everything that was going on across the organization. Everything from, you know, the, you know someone's having a problem getting on, online. Was that a, a one-time thing or was that an incident we had to deal with? There were laptop requests that were coming in. Not everyone in the company had laptops. And so you had to do a triage process. We had ordered, I think, 15,000 incremental laptops and, you know, just kind of getting them to people and, and doing the triage to associate uh, with that. Again, dealing with some of the... Uh, a prioritization in terms of what we need to stand up. We created a team of teams to do an intake process and then a triage for what needs to be done. And then they also do daily reporting. The daily reporting is about a 30-page document. I read it every single day. Um, it's a combination of statistics. You know, Here's what our service levels were for our phone channel. Here's how many fraud starts we might have had. But also a narrative on, on kind of what's worked well, what hasn't, what was installed, what we need to work on. Um, and just helped focus the attention of the entire senior management group on what need to be done. We have a small cross-functional team who basically owns it. I, I love that. It's like getting the right people, going back to having the right people in the room, hearing the right things, making decisions quickly. I'm, I'm curious, Michael, are you hearing stuff from customers, requests, suggestions, even better if, you know, with these products that you're making, are you taking some of the customer feedback and iterating on the tools and things you have to make the experience right now even better? 
Oh, absolutely. And look, we have a standard business as usual process to solicit customer feedback at every interaction point. And so uh, we kept that process up and going. And that actually serves as, as basically a feedback loop for things that are working well and maybe some places where you have some opportunities for improvement. Um, and so we're taking customer feedback. We're also taking our own colleague feedback. We, we have a whole process internally where colleagues can actually surface ideas for improvement. And we actually can take those and actually run with them. Um, but the, the voice of the customer is incredibly important and, and now more than ever. Do you find customers are more or less forgiving right now? Yeah, I'd, I'd say uh, honestly more forgiving. Um, I th- you know, customers, they understand what's, what's going on. Um, and so, you know, hold times might be longer than, than they might like. Uh, or there might be uh, an appointment booking required at, at a branch. But, but folks understand the world we're in. Um, and, and so look, our job is to be there for our customers. You know, we want to be convenient. We want to be available. I think we've done an excellent job doing that. Mm-hmm. If you've got to wait another minute on the phone, the most important thing is that when we talk to you, we're able to take care of your need and we're able to actually, first of all, understand what the question is, what your need is, and, and then in two, resolve it the first time. And if we can do that, you know, our customers will be happy. And, uh, again, I've been really pleased with, uh, what we've been able to do. Now, honestly, I've been pleased by our customer feedback. I mean, we're hearing they're really appreciative for, for the work that we're doing. I think I think this is such a, an important time for brands. Think about all the goodwill and brand equity or affinity that can be generated now when you get it right or close to right. It's like, oh man, you know, even in the pandemic, TD, they were there for me. They made it easy, like whatever the case may be. Absolutely. And to be fair, the nature of questions have changed. And mm-hmm. let's be real. One of the unfortunate consequences of the COVID crisis is that financial stress has really increased among a lot of people. And so advice is taking on a different meaning than it might have meant uh, just literally, you know, two months ago. And now a lot of folks need advice of the sorts of, OK, I've got a lot of bills and, and the following things have happened. How do I think about this? And like the ultimate moment of truth is, is when a customer, you know, is facing financial strain. And look, we as a bank need to be there. We need to work with our customers in a really constructive and effective way. And if we do that well, we've got a customer for life. I love it. And so uh, like you know, th- this is our moment. And, um, you, know, we, you know, in Canada, we call our collections group, we call it customer assistance. The reason we call it customer assistance is our job is to help our customers in a challenging time. It, it, it's a mindset. And I think it's a very, very important mindset. And look, a lot of our customers are having challenging times. A lot of us are having challenging times. But if you've lost your job and you have bills coming due and you're expecting government support but hasn't come in, how do I deal with that? Look, if we can work with our customers, which we're doing every single day, to make sure that we can help our customers land on their feet, you've got a customer for life. Absolutely. So uh, last couple of questions here. What's the one thing that you wish you knew before the pandemic hit? Um, the one thing I wish I knew before the pandemic hit was how you build uh, a sense of camaraderie, team building in a remote environment. Um, you know, we, we, we learned our way through that. Um, uh, but you've asked everyone to work from home. The kind of leadership elements of this are, are for a new muscle for many of us. And uh, I, I do wish I had uh, kind of fully understood the way to do that most effectively day one. Like I, we, we got there, but it wasn't necessarily a day one activity. I guess the follow-up to that question would be now that we're sort of however many weeks in, eight, eight or nine weeks for most of us, 
What advice would you give to our listeners moving forward? There's all this conversation about the new normal. And, you know, what's the new normal going to be look like? And, and we're actually in an interesting position where I think everyone in the world has more or less a sense of what the current situation is. The, the news media has been, been you know, talking about this nonstop. I know it's going on in China and New Zealand. I know it's happening in Italy and Europe, um, in North America. And so understanding of the current world is, is, I think, reasonably well understood. What the future looks like, no one has an advantage in, in predicting the future. Uh, like, I don't care who you are, you don't know. And so when I think about the future, I think about adaptability and like, how do we actually uh, operate our, our own personal lives or work operations, whatever it's going to be in a way that we can be adaptable and react to the moment. So I'm not going to be, I'm not going to try to predict the future. I'm going to be horribly ineffective mm -hmm. at that. So I want to create adaptability. I like that. Being adaptable for whatever comes next. My advice to a lot of people would be, you know, a lot of organizations would be, you know, now that the sort of impediments are mostly off, right? What kind of organization do you want to be? And what are the things that you want to take from this sort of quarantined experiment, if you will, bring them over and it's like, wave your magic wand and create your future. Use your imagination, invent stuff, right? Um, do things for your consumers, your customers. Don't forget your employees, all that kind of good stuff. Okay, I'm going to do a quick lightning round, which are like completely random questions. What is the weirdest COVID quarantine habit you've developed? The weirdest COVID quarantine habit I've developed? Ah, oh, geez, avocado toast. <laughs> Wait, <laughs> I love it. Avocado toast, your, your inner millennial. I love it. What's your best working from home tip? Uh, best working from home tip. Um, actually, I, I set up multiple monitors, uh, which is which is a big help. Um, and uh, so I'm able to uh, kind of multitask with my screens. Um, and, and I've actually found myself a, a quiet room, uh, which is uh, I don't know. Everyone doesn't have that. But a quiet room with with the multi screens is helpful. Hey, what's your favorite movie or binge worthy TV show right now? That seems to be on people's minds. <laughs> So I'm going to give you a binge-worthy TV show uh, that I, I just finished. And uh, your listeners are going to think I'm a little crazy when I tell you. It, it's a Netflix show called Outer Banks. Have you seen this thing? No, not yet. Total escapism. You know, to, you know like it, it's an escape moment. 90 Rotten Tomatoes. Um, uh, you know, pretty good. <laughs> um, what is your most used app? My most used app? Honestly, uh, probably Facebook. Um, I'm not a big poster on Facebook, although I did post a picture of my uh, son's girlfriend's puppy just the other day. Uh, but I, <laughs> I, I do like to uh, to see how friends and family are doing and kind of what, what you know what's going up. It's a way to sort of feel connected, uh, and um, so, so I've been using it a fair amount. Do you ever use TikTok? You know, it's funny. Uh, I, I've gotten a number of TikTok videos folks have sent me, and uh, I'm actually challenged my kids to do a TikTok video, which they're actually working on today. Nice. Last question. Early bird or night owl? Oh, definitely night owl. <laughs> no, is that right? Yes. Oh, amazing. I can't make it up past 11 o'clock, man. Yeah, I know. It was funny. Like, you know, the, with the kids now here, uh, literally like 11 o'clock last night, we had a glass of wine. We're, uh, you know, just talking about what's going on, predicting the future. None of us are right. Uh, and uh, it's, it, you know, it, it's a good way to kind of wrap up the day. So that is the end of the podcast. I think we've covered a lot of ground. We've talked about a lot of really interesting stuff. I learned a lot. I'm sure our listeners did too. Um, Michael, I want to thank you so much for taking the time out of what I'm sure is an incredibly busy day. 
doing it from your home, which we really appreciate. And you're now the first. You can say, I was the first ever virtual guest on PWC Shift, which is great. So thank you very, very much. I hope to meet you uh, in real life at some point. And um, best of luck uh, from here until when we get back to the next normal. Well, look, thank you and thanks to you and the rest of the PwC team for everything that you do for us. And uh, you've been great partners and I appreciate the opportunity to have this conversation. Thank you. And thank you to the listeners who've been on this journey with us. Hopefully you guys uh, are safe at home or safe in your work environments, wherever you might be. I look forward to recording another podcast in the future. And until then, be safe. Thank you. You too. Thanks for listening to this episode of Shift. You can get more details at pwc.com slash ca slash shift. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, subscribe to our podcast series. You can find us on iTunes, Google Play, or your preferred podcast platform. Just so you know, this podcast has been prepared by PricewaterhouseCoopers LLP, an Ontario limited liability partnership for general guidance on matters of interest only and does not constitute professional advice. Until next time.